Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Um, we've got a question here which says, do all implants need replacing after a certain length of time? Good question. Um, and I, uh, it's a bit of a myth, really, I think, because a lot of people think they've got to be changed every 10 years. Um, but they don't have to be changed every 10 years. And so the answer to that is they don't have to be changed after a certain length of time, no, because um, the, the main thing that happens to them and the main reason you might want them changed is the uh, capsule contracture hardening around the implants now they say that they say well, it's not they say I mean, it's true but the person who first had implants ever in 1960 whatever it was has still got them in so um they don't have to be changed but they're probably hard um so they go hard that's capsule contracture and that can happen um i normally say around five or ten years you know you should sort of plan I guess around 10 years plus or minus have them changed because they might go hard and they might get, go unsightly. I should have some implants here. They get squeezed and they go look, they look round and they can look unsightly and they can get uncomfortable. That's the sort of history of capsule contracture and that might require you to have them changed. The other reason which is less common is rupture. Um, there's two types of rupture, intra and extra, extra capsular rupture. And an extra capsular rupture is a road traffic accident where the whole, uh, the whole thing um misshapen the breast becomes misshapen the capsule and the implant ruptures and uh you get silicone in the breast which can cause irritation and things intracapsular rupture again more common sometimes a silent rupture you don't even know it's ruptured you can just pick it up on a scan and that's another reason you might want to have them changed the problem is or, or word of caution with that is that no scans are 100 percent either way scans can sometimes say they're ruptured and they're not sometimes say they're not and they are I just operated on someone uh, uh, yesterday who I think they said both, the scan said both were, were ruptured and neither were ruptured. So, um, and it works both ways. So, so scans aren't 100% for that reason. I don't routinely scan patients. I'm going off, I'm going off the question here, blimey. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, well, no, it's sort of on the question, isn't it? Do they need to be replaced? Yeah, got my hair. Haircut, um, so they don't know they don't need to be replaced and the, the bottom line is if you haven't got a problem I wouldn't worry about it if you're not symptomatic if you feel that they're fine then they're, they're fine personally as I say I don't routinely scan them some people want peace of mind having scans but then if the scan says it might be ruptured you know it's not 100% then you think what do I do because I'm happy with them and then you run the risk of having further surgery which does carry with it risks which may not be, have any benefit because it might not even be ruptured so um I think we've got that one now that one do implants need to be replaced after a certain length of time no but i would if you're having implants i plan to have them in you know i plan that you may well need another operation the other problem with the, the other operation well, if you have the capsule removed another capsule comes quicker second time around it's more expensive than the first operation because it's a bigger operation so it's something to consider and that's where the polyurethane ones come in they've got a lower rate of capsule contracture um but anyway that's something that you can consider but um zoe sorry hi hi rachel nice to see you here um so yeah that's um that's the implant question 
Um, actually, there's another implant question. Well, actually, there's a couple. Anyway, let's do this one. Is liposuction the best way to get rid of cellulite? Oh, my God. If I knew how to get rid of cellulite, honestly, I would be... Um, I would be um, getting rid of cellulite <laughs> all, all over the place because it's a big problem. It's a massive, massive problem. And it's really hard to treat. And no, quite frankly, liposuction is not the best way to get rid of cellulite. Cellulite is caused by the sort of dimpling of the skin. It's the little uh, fibrotic strands that hold down the skin and get called the dimpling of the skin. And uh, liposuction doesn't treat that, doesn't uh, affect that. Um, in fact, liposuction can cause more dimpling and can cause problems. There are certain ways that um, that cellulite can be treated. There's no real nothing. No one's really got it. You know, no one's really uh, nailed it. But um, basically, the ways of treating it involve cutting those strands of the, that cause the dimpling. So you can use a little um, device which cuts them. Um, you can use a, a, a laser, which is sort of like sort of like liposuction, but it's actually dividing the um, bands of um, of this uh, of the cellulite. That's called cellulase. Um, but you know they're all limited in their in their treatment in their uh, results. So I think it is a difficult problem to treat, and it is not I don't know liposuction is not the best way to get rid of it there isn't a best way to get rid of it there's lots of ways that can be done I've got to say we don't offer any at the clinic maybe we should the problem is the results aren't that's the problem with a lot of this stuff the results aren't there in my view from what I've seen we went to a meeting last week and there was a chap presenting the sort of cutting it machine way of doing it um local anesthetic just a little needle goes in and just divides those little bands it's okay, you know, it's okay. The results were okay. And presumably that's his best results. That's what worries me. And um, it's expensive as well. You know, the machine's expensive and the bit that cuts is expensive. So it you have to charge the patients a lot of money. And if, if you don't get great results, I think, ooh, I'll get unhappy patients then. That's what worries me. So uh, no, no one wants that. And let's face it, I use what I call the, I call the trident approach. There's three aspects to choosing the size of a breast implant. Um, I say I use, um, I've got to start sort of talking about the clinic now, because really, um, as I said, I'm sort of building the clinic now. And so we, we use the Trident approach. Yeah, we use the Trident approach, which means the number one thing is the base diameter of your breast. The base diameter of your breast is set. There's a certain group of implants which will fit your frame right now. You can't have any implant you want. You can only have ones that will fit your frame. It, in my view, um, and some people will put them in bit, put big wide ones in. I don't think that's that's a good thing to do. So I think the width is crucial. Number one. Number two, the shape and the profile. Teardrop and round are the shapes. Profiles, low, medium, high, extra high profile. So depending on what shape and profile you have, that gives a different sort of look. And then once, and so what we'll do is we show you photos of the different sorts of profiles on different people before and after with the top off. It's very hard to tell when people show pictures of people with clothes, particularly if they're just showing one view, presumably an after, saying what sort of profile that patient got. Can't really say. You have to look at the before and after. So I'll show you before and after <clears throat> the different profiles, and then hopefully give you you'll get an idea of what sort of shape and profile you're after. Once you've got a shape and a profile, so if you want a moderate profile round implant, the width of your frame is set. You are then 
there's an implant. There's a, only a couple of choices then. We'll narrow down to a couple of choices. We haven't even spoken about volume. So when you say what size breast implant, that talks about volume. You see these people on forums saying, is a 500cc implant too big for me? Is 250 too small? You're like, that's just the volume. You've got to look at the, the dimensions, the width of the implant and the profile of the implant and the shape of the implant. Those are the important things. And then the shape comes last. We do have a sizing kit in theatre where you put in sort of like chicken fillets to get an idea of the sort of volume you're after. And that's where the volume does come in. And some people will do things like the, the rice test. I don't know if you've heard of the rice test. It's where you get rice and you put it in a stocking and you weigh it and you put it in your bra to get an idea of what sort of volume you want. I don't do the rice test. I don't advise people to do the rice test because people spend ages at home wondering what volume they should have. And in fact, then they come and they say, all right, that's it. I've got it exactly. 325 cc's is bang on. That's the volume I want. And you're like, well, what, you know, what, sh well, in that case, because, you know, you're quite wide, that needs to be quite a flat implant or you're quite narrow. That needs to be quite a highly projecting implant. You know, like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want a highly projecting one. A natural result. You're like, well, you can't have 320. You know, you'd have to have a different volume. Does that make sense? So the volume comes last, really, is the bottom line. Although everyone talks about the volume comes last in my view of uh, what to um or when, when it comes to choosing the size of the implants so that's how you choose it base width choose a shape and profile and you're pretty much there sizing kit just to confirm it really although people spend ages with the sizing kit wondering which size to have it's actually not as important as people think it's important i mean you've got to be comfortable with it in your mind but it's not the be all and end all you know what last week i had 17 questions I've got five. What a downer. Last week I thought I've made it. I've got it made. You know, this is it. This is it. 17 questions I had last week. I've got five. I mean, they're good questions. Don't get me wrong. We've had some belters. Size of implant. I mean, you can't argue with that. Implants need replacing. Cellulite. I mean, quality questions, no doubt. But five. So what am I going to get next week? Two? Oh, back to the old days. Downer. That's the problem with fame. Oh, Rachel, don't ask. Rachel, don't ask. Stuff's gone on in the background, Rachel. Stuff has gone on. I don't know if I should say. Maybe I shouldn't say, but anyway. We've, we felt it was, it was, it was a bit, um, yeah. So uh, let's gloss over that. I've put it on the screen. I'm going to get it off the screen, that comment there. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, thank you. I'm glad you find it funny. God, dear, I have to, I have to watch, my, watch my gate, watch my doorway, check my car before I get in in the morning. Honestly, <laughs> no, I think it wasn't that bad. Anyway, where was I? 17 questions to five. Uh, yes. Sorry, it was a little bit much, wasn't it? It was a bit much. And you didn't see what happened, you know, with all the private messages and stuff. So, um, yeah. Dealt with it, let's just say. All right. <laughs> Should I say we dealt with it? I think, anyway. So, um, since so all around, yeah. Um, right, let's look at this. I'm on question four already. Four of five. Drag it out. Oh, above this is a big one though. It's another quality question, so you can't argue with that. Above the muscle and behind the muscle. Tell the question. Does this affect the way the implants look? No. 
Well, maybe. Um, you know, in my view, there's so many factors that come to get the result with breast implants. I wouldn't call this a factor. I wouldn't use this to make a decision on implant. I don't advise people to. Sometimes people say that the muscle squashes the implant a bit and makes it look a bit smaller. So therefore you should choose a bigger size. For me, it's so difficult to get everything right. And as I say, I don't really go on the size of the time, the width and all the things I've just said. Um, I, I say to people, don't make it a factor. It might be a factor. It might squash the implant a bit. It might not, but you don't know. You you can't um, demonstrate the result you're going to get to with a significant degree of accuracy enough to make that a um, uh, a decision making. Um, am I rambling here? Um, <laughs> I have to look back on the transcript of this. You shouldn't make that a decision making factor because it's not enough of a difference. So it might squash it a bit, but as I say, there's so much to worry about when you're choosing implants. I go on width, shape, profile, boom, and then the size that feels comfortable. I don't think, oh, I'm having it under the muscle, so therefore I'm gonna go a bit bigger. No. Or I'm having it over the muscle, therefore I should have it a bit smaller. No. So no, it does, well, so does it affect the way the implants look? I think that's what you're talking about. Um, the size, is it? Maybe that's not what the question was actually, because it does affect the way, the idea is always to get the breast to look good. Fair point, yeah. And having them under the muscle, it, it does run potential problems. And I guess you could say it's a bit more difficult to make them to look good, I guess, in a way. But, well, no, actually, retract that statement. Pros and cons, you see, we're into the pros and cons. The problem with putting them under the muscle is sometimes the muscle, you have to, if you don't divide the muscle enough immediately, the muscle can hold them wide. Sometimes the muscle can hold the implants up high. About once a year, I have to lower a set of implants because they're high and they're pretty much always, I think I can safely say they're always under the muscle. I never have to lower implants that are on top of the muscle. So it's a problem when they're under the muscle. Sometimes they can be held high, sometimes they can be held wide. So that can mean they don't look good. So I guess in that way, it does affect the way they look. I haven't thought this through, have they? Should have thought this through before I asked the question. Um, similarly, um, so you might say, that sounds bad. Why have them under the muscle? Well, people have them under the muscle because if you put on top of the muscle and you haven't got much covering in your breast, you see ripples, you see the rippling of the implant, you see the edges of the implant, doesn't look nice. So that, that can affect the way it looks. It doesn't look nice if they're above the muscle and you're very slim. So the muscle gives it an extra layer of cover to make it look better. So you aim to make them not sit too wide, not sit too high and not have rippling, whichever place you put them in. But the risks of them sitting high and wide are higher when they're on the muscle. The risk of rippling are higher than when they're on top of the muscle. And so we have to balance those two things up as to see what's right for you, because there's no right way. Um, so, you know, sometimes I, we put them under the muscle, sometimes we put them over the muscle, depending on what's right for you, weighing out the pros and cons. If you do a lot of gym stuff, you worry about animation deformities when they're under the muscle. So, yeah, actually, delving down onto this question, there is some differences, but the aim is that you don't get any complications either, you know, whichever way you choose. And so you want the look to be the same at the end of the day, but there are risks with trying to achieve that look. There are, Sort of potential complications of trying to achieve that look with both ways. I asked it. I would say I'd have to look back at that, a way I answer that question to see if that made sense, but I'm frightened too, to be honest. Um, perhaps I'll answer it again, ask it again next week. But I don't know who answered that question. I'll ask it again next week because I probably be, oh, I'll have loads of questions next week, I'm sure. I'll put the plea out, you know, put out a plea. 
at 17 next week again. Now, I'm not saying I'm on the lot. Oh, Sharon's coming. Nice. Sharon, I'm going to hide. I'm not going to go with my question. I'm going to go with your question. Have you operated on someone with a connective tissue disorder, Erlos Danlos? Yes, I have. It's going back a bit. Um, and it is a bit of a problem, Sharon. As you know, or you presumably know, since you mentioned it, Erlos Danlos syndrome is uh, increased elasticity of the skin. And uh, it is, as you say, a connective tissue disorder. So a lack of a. Um, uh, uh, there's a too not a lack of too much um, give too much elasticity in the skin, and it does predispose to wound healing problems, and it can cause uh, problems when you're trying to um, operate on pa patients uh, with Erlos Danlos. So it is so have I operated on someone a bit like last week? Was a, someone was asking about have I done something? Uh, it, I'm not an expert in it. Um, I don't know if anyone is. I have operated on people with Erlos Danlos, but I'm going to say more than 10 years ago so long it's not something i do every day and um i'm just thinking one person really so to be brutally frank with you i might have only operated on so have you operated on someone yes what is the answer it might only be one person thinking about it i haven't got a big experience sharon but um anything really just to be aware of the pros and cons and there are risks with doing that because it is uh, it does predispose to wound healing problems uh, if you operate on the patients with this disorder. So you'd have to be aware of it and think of what the pros, if it is you or whoever you're asking for, uh, pros of having surgery, but your cons are going to be increased because you're going to have risk of being of wound healing problems. Actually, did I operate on someone? I don't think it was a loss and loss. I think I did operate on someone with a connective tissue disorder last year recently, so maybe it's two. Anyway, not big numbers either way, but I hope that's helpful. Um, but yeah, it's something to consider. And if you have a doctor looking after your Erlos Danos, like any of these questions saying, oh, diabetes and this and that, always best to liaise, will liaise with them. And, you know, you can liaise with them and say, look, is it safe for me to have surgery? Depends on what sort of surgery you want as well, obviously. Um, so yeah. Hi, Michelle. Long time no see. Hi, me. Long time no see. Where you been? Um, see, is, you know where I am? By the way, any patients of mine, I am still seeing patient, my own patients and I'm still looking after my own patients. I'm not taking on new patients, but I'm seeing you, the, the, my current patients forevermore. Um, there's no plans not to do that, obviously, because I'm building the clinic. I'm going to be doing all that. So I hope that was helpful, Sharon. I don't know if it Well, I hope it was. Anyway, yeah. Um, thank, thank you, Sharon, for making my question run six. So we're now going to question six. What's the difference between standard tummy tuck and a fleur de lis tummy tuck? Um, basically, all this stuff, tummy tucks, breast lifts, face lifts, arm reductions, all this body contouring, basically, is tightening skin. And everybody wants less scar, but less scar means less skin tightened. So um, you've got a mini tummy tuck, which has got a short scar. You've got a full tummy tuck which is, I guess, the standard tummy tuck, which is a long scar and a scar around the belly button where all the skin from the belly button down gets removed. And you've got a fleur-de-lis, which is an inverted T-scar, so straight down the middle, and also the standard abdominal pasty scar as well. So it's an extra scar. So it looks more unsightly because you've got a big line, straight line scar down the middle. Standard tummy tuck, you can hide the scar in your belly button. Uh, you can hide the scar in your uh, underwear or your bikini. Fleur-de-lis, can't hide it. It's a big, long line down the middle. So you might say, why would anyone have that? Well, the reason that someone would have that, you've got to try and think of it from our point of view, um, if you can. Um, 
the, the, the normal tummy tuck, you're taking tissue, stand up for this, in this direction, up and down direction. Um, that's where you're taking the tissue from. <laughs> I think I could use a bit of... Um, so it's an up and down direction. So that's the vector of pull, that's the vector of tightening. The good thing about fleur de lis is you're then, not only you're doing the up and down, you're doing the side to side. That's how you get the T. So you're tightening the waist, you're cinching in this way as well, pulling that way and that way. So you're cinching that in. So that is good. Um, <laughs> um, so you're cinching it in. Um, and so that is that is giving more tightening with Lord Lee. Um, the other thing you can have is a circumferential tummy tuck all the way around. So um, it's more tightening, but it's more obvious scarring. Personally, personal personal um, preference, um, I um, don't like flirtly. It, I think the scar is is obvious. If patients, you know, if patients want it, then fine. But I show them photos of what the scar is, and it's quite an obvious scar. Don't like it. I don't like the scar. But it's not my body, so you know, we, we'll offer whatever. But I think you have to be, you know, it's really for massive weight loss patients who've got an awful lot of spare skin and it certainly does tighten the skin better, but it gives that straight line scar. Also, anytime there's a T-junction, you just have to talk to people about a mastopexy or a breast lift. Anytime there's a T-junction, two scars meeting each other, there's a risk of wound healing problems at that T-junction. So there is that risk with the fleur de lis. So it's something to talk about, but, um, but it's, um, yeah, it's got its good things and its bad things. So that's a good question. We got some action in the chat. We got some action going on. Johanna, what's that? Thumbs up. Thumbs up to yourself. I was at the gym. How much have I missed? Steph, I, I hate to say, Steph, I, I was late. I, I blame myself, to be honest with you. I blame myself. Um, Steph, you've missed the whole lot of it. All right. There was five, well, six questions. You missed the whole lot. That was question six. Building up a nice, oh, but do you do lip fillers? There we go. You may, yeah, you have missed the implant question, Steph, but you can get it on the catch-up. Get it on catch-up, you know, these days. No one watches anything live these days. Um, do you do lip fillers? No, I don't, Eugenia. But I know a man and a woman who does. Um, we do it at the clinic. So, um, yeah, different types of lip fillers, usually hyaluronic acid type stuff, which is... Um, which is uh, a, 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 a sort of a temporary thing. You can have permanent ones. I don't think this is Kuram who does it. And I think Vicky might do it as well, the nurse. I should know this, shouldn't I? I, I know, I'm pretty sure Kuram does it, uh, Kuram Khan. Oh, I think they look bad here. I know they do Botox and so Yeah, Kuram will do lip fillers. Um, yeah, blame me, blame me, blame. Um, but yeah, we do it at the clinic. Uh, Eugenia, so please give us a ring and give give Lucy a ring or someone a ring at the clinic, and they'll they'll be able to help you with that. But I don't do it personally. But you know, I'll look after you. Um, rhinoplasty. Here we go. Um, rhinoplasty. How is the tip taken off a long more? How is the tip taken off a long more? How is the tip taken off a long more? Um, I'm guessing that's a typo. I'm going to just go with how is a tip taken off? Is that what you mean? Um, so basically, I think what I don't do rhinoplasty. 
don't do rhinoplasty. So full disclosure, I don't do rhinoplasty. So I give you just terms of how rhinoplasties are done. So uh, rhinoplasties are done. So if there's a problem with the tip, the tip is made up of cartilage. So there's two pieces of cartilage. If you look at a lot of people think there's bone all the way down the, the, the nose. They think, well, I broke my nose. They very rarely break their nose, break the bone of the nose. If you look at a skull, the bone of the nose ends up here somewhere. Um, so this part of the nose is your is the um, is the is the is the tip is the made up of cartilage. So that's made up. So if you're saying how um, how is the tip taken off? I don't know what you mean by that. So basically, you can either augment the tip, and you can use you can um, you do that with stitches, or you can do that with um, pieces of cartilage, which you can take from your ear and things to make the tip stick out more. Or maybe they're taken off. I think what you mean maybe is taken back, smaller tip, if the tip's um, too big. So then you can, again, trim the cartilage and use some sutures to reshape the cartilage. Um, is that helpful? And you have the work of the bump and things like that, which again is cartilage, this is cartilage as well. That's, that can be taken off. Um, so, yeah. So it's, it's done with sutures and it's done um, by reshaping the cartilage, which is makes up the tip of your nose. Um, what's going on here? More. Oh, more. How, oh, sorry. How is it? Right. How is a tip taken off a long more? More. OK. Oh, how am I? Um, yes. And you have to repeat everything. Yeah. OK, thanks. Yeah. No, you staff, you can see on the catch up. Thanks. I'll message you. Eugenia, message me. Do that. Message me and I'll put you in touch with someone who knows about lip fillers because you can clearly see that I don't. Well, I do in general terms, but I'm not in it. I'm not in it on a day to day basis. Um, nose. Nose. How is a tip taken off a long nose? Ah, no. <laughs> How is a tip taken off a long nose? Got it. So that's it. So if the nose is too long, so the cartilage, the cartilage is trimmed back. There's two pieces of cartilage you go like that to make the trip, the tip. So then you um <laughs> then you can trim the cartilage and bring those two pieces of cartilage back. Um nose, God, this you got there in the end. Yes. San Sierra. San Sierra, how many cosmetics? Here we go. We've got a question. Look at that. We've got some questions coming in. Eugene has kind of another question. Great. How many cosmetic procedures would you deem safe to perform in one operation, please? Oof. What you're asking for, Laurie? What are you thinking of? Um, you know what? You can have long operations. Uh, you can do operations that take 10, 12, 14 hours. I've done operations that take that long, but it's not great. Um, it depends on the patient. If the patient's healthy and fit, and it depends on what you're to be honest with you most of the problems with um this sort of question i, I think with people worrying about multiple operations uh, don't come actually from the operation because it's very safe to have anesthetics these days and it's a bit like airline travel it's the sort of takeoff and landing where the problems the bit in between is like cruising you know cruising altitude so you know the safety is is pretty good so the number one thing is you you if you're healthy and fit and can withstand a long operation then that's fine um, the main thing when people are asking about multiple procedures, to be honest with you, is a post-op. So people are talking about their arms done and their tummy and their breast and their thighs or something like that. You're like, oh, my God, both arms. Ooh. So if everything's in the same area, like it's very common to have breast and tummy. That's a very common uh, combination known as a mummy makeover. Well, something done to your breast, something done to your tummy. They're in the same area. It's, cool, it's still quite a big deal, um, but you can get those two things done together. But then when you start talking about doing the tummy, oh, here we go. Flirtly, oh, you're the flirtly. Flirtly, tummy tuck, arm lift, breast, thigh. You see, there you go. That's too, Laurie, that's too much, I would say. <laughs> so you're talking about flirtly, tummy tuck, big deal, big op, 
breast implants and uplift, massive op, massive op. Arm lift and thigh lift, massive, massive, massive. So that's too much um, because you think about it afterwards. Your arms are out of action. Your thighs are out of action. You struggle to walk. You bent over double. Your breath, oh my Lord. And your risk of complications, it's not any higher than if you had them done separately, but you've got all these areas to worry about. I would say that's too much, Laurie, um, to, do, to do in one operation. I think it would be reasonable to do um, something like the tummy tuck and maybe your breast. Um, tummy tuck and thigh lift maybe um, but you know to, to multiply it all up is too much and then maybe do your breast and your arms something like that so it's, you know I know I know a lot of people want it done in one go because they want one recovery and I totally understand that time off work and all those things but I think really for me I think that's too much I think your recovery would be too yeah you're welcome I think your recovery would be too um, too difficult you know if you if you if you if you to you know and you worry about wound healing here and a wound healing there and a wound healing. so yeah i would break that up to at least two two goes i would um so we've got the, the chat's gone mental is it really risky having boobs done i'd bloody love to have them done but is there a massive risk as i'm very screaming screamish info would be great um is it really risky having boobs done I'm talking about I'm talking about <laughs> reading the thing. I'm talking about breast implants, um, Eugenia. There are risks with it, Eugenia. I've got to be honest with you. There are risks with it, so you have to know the risks. I wouldn't say it's really risky. If it was really risky, it wouldn't be as popular as it is. So there are risks with it, but it's got a quite a low complication rate. To be honest with you, complications things like infection for breast augmentation. I don't think I've ever had an infection. But they're out there you know you can get infection you have to remove that's the big one i think infection i would say because you have to remove the implant if you have infection you can get things like hematoma where blood collects inside you have to go back to theater you can get things like as i said capsule tracture and, and ruptures and things later on so it's not really risky no but there are risks associated with it and you have to balance the risks against the benefits the fact that you're a squeamish i think that is rather than screamish you screamish you scream the fact that you're um, squeamish is, you know, is okay. A lot of people don't fancy it. I don't fancy the thought of having an anesthetic, to be honest with you. Not many people do. But, um, you know, it's pretty short anesthetic. And as I say, it's pretty safe. And I think there are risks. When you look at risks, Eugenia, there are risks with everything, aren't there? There are risks with driving and boiling the kettle. Because you can burn yourself. But there are risks with, well, airline travel. I just pretty safe these days as well, isn't it? Um, but anyway, there are risks with stuff. Let's just say that, shall we? Um, skiing, right? Skiing, and that is risky. So anyway, you've got to, but you, you, enjoy, you know, not you, but people enjoy skiing, so they risk the benefit and the risk, maybe not consciously, but they think, I like skiing. I know that I can, or I like driving my car down the motorway, but there are risks with it, or I've got to get to work. you just got to balance the risks with the benefits. So no, no, they're not massive risks, but there are risks. So you have to be aware of them. Um, I was shaking badly after anaesthetic for two procedures. What caused this? Hmm. Um, not sure, Helen. Helen, are you? I don't think you're my patient, are you, Helen? What was you asking about something earlier? Your name? Oh, rhinoplasty. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know, Helen. You, you definitely can be shaking afterwards, and it's not necessarily that you're cold. I think the recovery patients often shake. Um, Probably an Eastis would be a better person to ask about that. I've not heard of 
Oh, not for two days. Sorry, I was shaking badly after anesthetic for two procedures. Sorry, I was reading days. Oh, yeah, that's quite common to be shaking after anesthetic. Um, well, first of all, you can be cold. If it was a rhinoplasty, you wouldn't be cold. But often a lot of operations, you've got to imagine you're on an operating table oops, and you're exposed. So you can get cold. Now, we do everything we can to keep you warm. We use warming blankets and things. But often afterwards in recovery, people can be cold because their body has been exposed. So you can be cold. But even aside from being cold, even if your temperature is fine, sometimes people do shake. Uh, uncontrollably, you can't do anything about it. Uh, I guess it's some reaction to the anaesthetic, but it's very common in the recovery after anaesthetic. Um, I'm sure anaesthetists would be able to tell us what caused that, but um, it's nothing to worry about. It's just in the immediate post-operative period. By the time you get back to the ward, it's fine. Um, thank you for asking. Thank you for asking, Laurie. Thank you very much. Can you always save an umbilicus with a tummy tuck? I've been told there may not be much of a blood supply behind mine. I've severe DR, not this again. Oh, not this, not doctor, not Mr. Button, doctor. What's the doctor? I've got severe doctor. Oh, here we go. Severe doctor. Diastasis recti, is it? I'm trying to <laughs> preempt the, and my umbilical, at least you've done it in capitals, not like the lot did Mr. Butt. Anyway, and my umbilical sticks out, maybe a small hernia. Um, yeah, a risk. there's a risk of uh, losing the umbilicus when you do a tummy tuck. There is a risk of losing the belly button. Uh, it can die. And in fact, some people, there's a guy in uh, Colombia, he's always talking, Alfredo Hoyos, and he routinely takes the umbilicus off, routinely, every tummy tuck. He just takes it off, throws it away and makes a new one. So he can make a new one if the tummy tuck does die. So it's not a disaster. I mean, at the end of the day, a tummy tuck is a scar. It's a scar from the umbilical cord. So, you, but having said that, you can usually save the umbilicus. You know, presumably your umbilicus got a good blood supply now, so it should be fine. But if not, if you have to repair a hernia very tight or your divarification of the erecti, which I'm assuming that's what DR means. Um, yes, thank you. Diastasis recti. Thank you, Steph, for that. Um, um, yeah, if you do end up killing the blood supply to the umbilicus, a new one can be made uh, if you want. Well, presumably you do want the tummy to uh, the belly button because most people like having a belly button. So yeah, no, you can always you can usually save it, but it could be reconstructed if not. Um, should you have implants replaced at fourteen years old, Holly? No, no, Holly, no. Um, this is what I was saying earlier about you know I don't routinely scan people. Some people like the reassurance of being scanned, but as I say, they're not one hundred percent. And if you haven't got any problems, leave it alone. And even if you have got problems, to be honest with you, even if you have got problems, even if it is a bit hard. Leave it as long as you can, because if you change them now, the main reason for changing them is capsular contracture, them going hard. So if they haven't gone hard, I would leave them alone. If they have gone hard, you can have them changed. But the hardness is scar tissue. And if you have them changed, you create more scar tissue. And that um, comes quicker. So you've gone 14 years with these one. It might be you know, 10 years with the next one. Then you have them changed again. And then it's eight years and it's six years. So it can be a bit of a vicious circle because you get more and more scar tissue every time. So you've got to minimize the amount of operations to your breast. So yeah, just because they're 14 years old, I'd leave them alone. Um, but if you've got a problem, you could have them changed. But if you haven't got a problem, I would say, look, leave it alone. San Sierra. San Sierra, Helen. Chica Del Mar. Thank you. Should I, oh, here we go, Holly again. Replaced, one is hardening, is capital contracture. Okay, yeah, no, you shouldn't. You should leave it as long as you can, I would say, Holly. And if it gets really uncomfortable, then you should have it changed, but not unless it is really uncomfortable. Diastasis recti, yes. Diastasis, yeah, I got that one, Sarah, DR. Thank you for that. Um, 
I don't know. Well, we had it. We, we get a late pull there, didn't we? Did we have double figures? Maybe. So thank you for um, Helen and Holly and Sarah and Eugenia and Laurie and everyone who's asked a question and Rachel and Steph and Michelle. Nice to see you, Michelle. Long time no see. Here we go. Here we go. We've got one coming in. No, Sarah. Where have you been? You've been on the American websites with this mesh and DR repair and losing the belly button. No, no. So basically what a mesh is, is, is a prosthetic material and um, it bridges a gap. So if you have a hernia, if you have a gap, like, a, like you said earlier, you might have a hernia. So if you have got a hernia and a gap, then you might need to use a mesh to bridge the, the gap. If you've got diastasis recti, the diastasis of your recti means people call it a hernia, but it's not a hernia. Your recti is your six pack and you should be next to each other. You know, I would demonstrate myself, but I don't think we're, past the, we're not past the watershed. So I won't demonstrate myself. But, you know, the six pack, your muscles, your, 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 your rectus muscles, you know, your two rectus muscles going straight down here. And they've got those lines, those tenderness intersections, those, you know, that's what makes the six pack. But they're basically two muscles that go straight down. And when you have pregnant, when you get pregnant or when you have children, those muscles splay apart and you get a gap between them which is the diastasis of the rectus muscles and uh, when you put your head up or lift your legs up straight leg raise you can feel a bulge between the two muscles you can work at the gym as much as you like you can't do anything to close that gap that gap will always be there so as part of the tummy tuck repairing that divarification or that diastasis is part of the surgery and you bring those muscles together and you don't need a mesh or anything like that because you just bring because it's lax. The, 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 it's lax because it's been stretched. So you're tightening it back to, to how it should be. You're not bridging a gap. You don't need a mesh to bridge the gap. Um, sometimes you see incidental hernias like the umbilicus. You might be an incidental umbilical hernia. That's fine. You, you can just close that and repair it. If it's a tiny little hole, you just repair it. If there is a big gap or if there's a hernia with a defect, then you, you might need to consider a mesh. To bridge that gap and you stitch that mesh, mesh to to bridge and reinforce the, the the gap or the defect in your abdominal wall but it's certainly not routinely done as part of the as part of the tummy tuck meshes are expensive meshes cause complications potentially because you've got a prosthetic material which could get infected sometimes you get pain because the suture is pulling on the mesh and things so there are potential risks for using a mesh but they are good to bridge you know really good way to bridge a gap so but, it, but it's certainly not a routine part of a diastasis repair. Diastasis recti is routinely repaired as part of the tummy tuck and never use mesh, never use mesh because you don't, you don't need it. It's only really if you had a gap there. Well, Mims is coming. M Melissa's back. Melissa's back. Meli Melissa, anyway, right. No, I'm rising above it. Is, is still having excess skin. below um is still having excess skin below belly button normal after tummy tuck following big weight loss no no it's not uh, mims no the whole point of tummy tuck is you tighten the skin and the more skin there is the more you tighten it so if you, the we the reason you'd have excess skin is because is is um because Either maybe it, you didn't have it tightened enough, and maybe the doctor was worried that you weren't, um, you, you was going to make it too tight so that you weren't healing problems. Or particularly if you have put on and lost weight, particularly if you put on and lost weight, um, then 
that would cause that you'd have loose skin after a tummy tuck. So you must try and um, keep your weight stable after a tummy tuck um, because that could make you have some um, loose skin. Um, Sarah, do you think using glue is a good idea with a tummy tuck to avoid drains? Sarah, I don't do it. So I don't, I don't use glue. Um, I'm not saying it's not a good idea. I'm just, I don't do it. I use drains and I do quilting sutures. And I think some people use drain, uh, sorry, some people use glue and I think that's good. No one likes drains and I'd like not to use drains to be honest with you because no one likes them. And I would, I really like to, to avoid using them. Um, but at the moment I still use drains and I use quilting sutures to try and close down the space. So I personally am worried that if you use glue, you cough or you shear afterwards and you would open up that space and you'd increase risk of seromas. But a lot of people do use glue and feel that it doesn't increase your risk of seromas. A lot of this is no right or wrong. It's just, you know, people's opinions. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, thanks Emma. Thanks for that. Wait, stay stable. Well, Mims, I don't know what to say. Then maybe um, gulp. Maybe um, you need to see a surgeon to see to see what what's happening there. So yeah. Um, would you recommend losing weight before a tummy tuck? I am definitely Emma. That's a great question. I wish we'd had that earlier. Not that there wasn't good questions earlier. No, there was. All the questions have been good. That is a great question though. That would that's a very good question. Yes, you have to lose weight before. Nobody says I can't lose weight because all this big tummy, and I understand that. But if you lose weight after a tummy tuck, as I say, the reason you need a tummy tuck is because the skin has not recoiled, and um, if you lose weight, the skin doesn't recoil and you're left with excess skin. So at three stone overweight, um, you, you need to lose weight first because if you lose weight now, you'll have even more redundant skin. You'll think you'll probably think, oh my god. This is terrible and sometimes people have lost a lot of weight actually want to put weight on to try and take up the slack but um that's wrong if you're having a tummy tuck lose as much as you can make it as loose as you possibly can because then we can make it as tight as we possibly can and give you a much better result if you lose weight afterwards you might do have this sort of spare skin uh afterwards also the lower your weight the less risk of complications wound healing problems dvts pneumonias all these things can happen with a tummy tuck and the lower your weight the less your risk of complications. So you're definitely better off losing weight before um, the having the surgery. Laurie, weight, dear, um, well, we normally work on a BMI 30. If your BMI is less than 30, your risk of complications are less. So that's the ballpark we give patients. The better your BMI, the better, you know, the lower your BMI, the better. And obviously BMI 25 is sort of ideal, but I think that's not realistic for a lot of people. So, um, so um, I don't know what you're talking about, Eugenia. I'm calm <laughs> and, you know, relaxed. So, um, yeah, BMI 30 is, um, is what we work on. But the main thing is you've got to be stable with your weight. Stable with your weight, happy with your weight, comfortable with your weight. That's the main thing, more than the absolute value of it, although the absolute value of it is, you know, so even if it's less than 30, if you want to lose weight, do it before having a tummy tuck. So, um, yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it, at the end? Thank you. Um, so there, well, I'll tell you what, you come good, Eugenia and Laurie and Emma and everyone else's name comments there. Emma, you have been helpful. Emma, thank you, Emma. So thank you. Yes. Good luck with the weight loss. Go for it. 
you know, much better result if you can lose weight first, much better. Same with any body contouring surgery, but uh, particularly tummy tuck. So yeah, good luck with that. So um, I've been um, very, Sarah, thank you. I've been very, um, very impressed with that. That was very nice to have all those comments. Thank you very much. That was excellent. And I'm very grateful for those comments. And uh, I do coffee, I think. I do need a coffee, but I get it myself, actually. I'll, go, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be all right. I don't need to <laughs> so I'm gonna go and um, put my feet up, have a lie down, and um, what's happening next week? Or go next week, or go every week this month. I don't know. I am married, Eugenia, I am. Um, um, so, Michelle's in the house. Um, I lost 14 half, 14 half stone. That's seven, is it? No, 14 now. Jonathan took away the bar, bane of my life. Best thing I met. I still have weight to lose, but I never look back. I had no belly button. I surgery was stiff, I really don't miss it. I have a diamond tattooed where it should be. Oh, Michelle. Michelle, I couldn't. Did I not reconstruct it, Michelle? I can reconstruct it if you want. I can try and make a dimple where the, where the belly button was. It's not that difficult. Um, I haven't seen you in ages, Michelle. Why don't you come and, um, come and see me? Okay, I see you on the Facebook, but I don't see you in real life. Um, but thanks, yeah, thanks, Michelle, for that. Um, yeah, it is a, it is a, it is a uh, big op. Uh, I mean, a big life changer, big life changer of a tummy tuck. It really is, and that's really kind words. Thanks for that, Michelle. Good to see you here. Look at that. It's all, it's all going on now. At the end, maybe I should do it later on. Um, so, Michelle, I would like that. I can't like it on this, but I'll like it later on. Uh, I do like it. Love your inbox. You can book me in the office, please. Um, LV inbox. You can, you can you book me into the office, please. Um, oh, I is that I've inboxed? Yeah, great. I will. Eugenia, I'll pick up the inbox. I will have a look at it. Yeah, thank you. So excellent. Uh, thank you, everyone. Great time was had by all. I'm going to check out now if that's okay. Love it. Is have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.